Hello, mixtresses and mixters. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? That's right, kids. I'm back after a two-week hiatus. Um, I hope you didn't miss me. You probably didn't. Um, so what am I going to do today? I have I just a little bit of a business update, just getting the, the shit out of the way. Um... I have sort of made the decision, I've felt really uncomfortable lately, like talking about all of my super personal bullshit on the podcast. Um, I think I just got tired of hearing myself talk about all of my super personal bullshit. And I sort of made the decision that I'd, I just got sick of it being archived, I guess. Um, I just started disliking the idea of me saying a whole bunch of personal shit on my podcast and then it just being there forever. Because when I tend to say super personal shit, it's because I'm in the process of working out super personal shit, which means that that particular opinion that I'm saying at that particular moment is in transition. So like, that's not the way I'm going to feel about it in two days, in two weeks, in two years, it's still going to fucking be there. And I kind of hate that shit. I kind of hate how everything's archived in our internet age, you know, like how you'll pull up like Facebook messenger or whatever, and to like send a message to somebody that you don't talk to that often. And then like right there above your current message, there'll be like the last thing you said to that person, which happened to be three years ago. Like, why the fuck does that need to be there? Like who needs to remember like a fucking text conversation that you had with someone three years ago? Like, I'm not into all that. <laughs> like, from a, the historical standpoint of, like, being fascinated with a celebrity or something and seeing their text conversations from three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, if they are dead now and you're looking at their life in a biographical way, then maybe that's interesting. But, like, no. No. <laughs> So I just sort of made the decision that I think the podcast is going to, the name of it is not, not going to change, but it's just going to be added to because the decision, decision I think I ultimately went with is that I would like to keep my podcast mostly about pop culture and Buffy, mostly Buffy, but also other pop culture. And it's not like I'm not still going to like babble about my existential nonsense. I mean, I'm fucking doing it right now. Like it is going to be impossible for me to not do that. So it's still going to be there, but I just don't ever want to find myself, like I have several times this summer, just pressing record and talking about my psychological nonsense for 40 minutes. Um, my brother came over last night and he, he seemed kind of sad that I wasn't going to be doing that anymore. So I would like to hear your opinion, like if everybody unanimously tells me that the reason they listen to what's this bitch talking about is because they like listening to my psychobabble nonsense, then, you know, I'll keep it in. I just don't want it to be the only thing I talk about, um, because just for me personally, I, it bores me. So I have to enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> and if I bore myself with my podcast, I'm just going to stop doing it. So 
today is not really different than just psychobabble the, the whole time. But the general premise of today, the topics that I'm going to discuss, I wrote down in my notes app a few weeks ago, common beliefs in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I disagree with. So they're just, three of them are kind of, two of them are sort of silly things. Um, and two of them uh, I feel a little bit more strongly about. So I'm just going to kind of uh, race through the first two things. And then the third topic is going to be a little more serious. And then the very last topic is going to be super serious. So just like in case you need a warning, like every time I talk about Buffy, there are spoilers all over the fucking place. And this time even more so than usual, because I'm not going to be focusing on a specific episode that we're watching in season one or two, where we are right now. But um, I'm going to be focusing on the whole arc of the series with these topics, um, with the exception of the two trivial ones that I'll race through real fast, which kind of come up in the later seasons. Anyway, um, so I'm just going to kind of talk about these common beliefs in Buffy that I disagree with. But let's start first with what's up with Mixtress, because I can't take that out completely. I just can't. <laughs> um, and because I actually enjoy that when I'm listening to podcasts, like, I enjoy hearing how people are, you know, even if their podcast is like Chuck and Josh doing stuff, um, stuff you should know. How did I just forget the name of the, like, the podcast that I've listened to the longest? Um, I, you know, they'll, I like it when they go on little tirades and talk about their personal stuff, even though their podcast is pretty much just, like, presenting a topic and, like, doing research and telling you, like, the overview of a topic, you know, like, it really has nothing to do with their personal lives, but I like it when they talk about their personal lives. So... I'm not going to take it out entirely because I can't, I don't know how to not like give you total insight into the background firing of my synapses. I don't, I don't know how to not do that. So I don't even know why I made the announcement that I'm going to try to be less personal because I don't even know how to be less personal. <laughs> uh, I'm a constant contradiction. I'm an evolving constant contradiction. Um, so I, I kind of got depressed the last few weeks, which is part of the reason why I didn't have podcasts because I just could not, you know, um, I've still been doing the radio show every week, of course. So if you do miss, if, if you end up missing some of the more personal shit that I'll try to keep out of the podcast, tune in every Friday between seven and 11 PM central standard time at mixtressray.com. There's a little player on the top right area region of my blog and you can press play during broadcast time and hear me like I always say super personal shit on the radio show because I don't get a whole lot of listeners and because it's just there for that moment and then it dissipates into the wind and I like that. So I can just, you know, my favorite thing to say on the radio show is it's just us right now. So I'm going to tell you some tea, <laughs> spill some tea right now. So what's been up with me is that I've been kind of existential. 
Um, I've just sort of been in a place of like, I'm sick of hearing myself talk. The whole like babbling about my psychological bullshit, existential bullshit thing that I do on both my radio show and my podcast, the thing that I just can't not do when I'm sitting in front of a tape recorder. Um, I just got really sick of it, of hearing it come out of my mouth. Cause it's like, I felt like I just was stuck and I was in a stagnant place and I wasn't going anywhere. So I was sick of saying words out loud because I only like to talk about things because I'm trying to evolve. Like I'm always trying to evolve. I want to always be in the process of becoming a better human and being more self-actualized. I mean, that that's always been my goal is to be the most me that I can be and capitalize on that because that's where happiness lies, I think. And I was just stuck. I was just in an area of, I'm not going to evolve at all right now, so I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch RuPaul <laughs> and um, try not to analyze my shit right now because it's too depressing. And it's it's okay to have those moments and it was fine. Um, I got through it. I think I'm on the other side of it now. I'm sort of trying to be very mindful right now about putting more effort into life is just my general philosophy at the moment. I just want to, I'm constantly like analyzing the level of energy that I have. And I always think that I have little to no energy to like, I've just gotten to a point where I feel like I just can't deal with any interruptions in my routine, like at all. I'm, I'm just sort of, I've been in this state of like curling up into a ball and doing nothing for a while now. And I'm trying to force myself to think, okay, maybe I think I have energy to a level of three today. If that's true, I'm going to go ahead and push it to a four or a five, you know, do a little bit more than I think I can handle until I get used to that. And then just do a little bit more than that. Once I'm handling a four or five and just the general philosophy of you can only get out of life what you put into it. And I'm trying to adopt that philosophy in every aspect of my life, like from, um, interacting with friends to like exercise and eating habits and like executing creative projects, you know, like just 10 minutes ago, I was sitting, listening to a podcast and playing solitaire on my phone. And I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, it's almost two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sitting around in my jammies. You know, I've like I've gotten a couple of things done. Like I've made the bed and started doing laundry, but like I was just sitting there thinking I need to do the podcast. I don't want to do the podcast. I'm so out of the habit of doing the podcast. I don't even know what the fuck to talk about. I don't want to do the podcast. And I had to just tell myself, shut the fuck up. It's two o'clock. <laughs> Go in there 
press record and try to get this done. And like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I basically every single human being struggles with getting things done and being their self-actualized creative self. And, um, I'm, I, I'm there too. And like, there, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I just don't want to do this right now. I don't want to go down all these psychological babble roads, you know, like it's helpful to me to do this. It is, but like, I don't know, doing it in this podcast sense where other people are hearing me do it. I'm going to struggle with that probably forever, you know, like how much of this do I want to do while people are listening? <laughs> um, so let's just go ahead and shut the fuck up. So the essential take away from all of that is that I was kind of in a weird little stagnant place and I curled up into a ball and I rocked back and forth for a little while. And I think I emerge, I am emerging on the other side of that with some new insights into myself as always. And I think it's going to lead to some self-improvement of some kind as always. Um, and I'm excited that fall is getting closer. Um, how long do we have until we get to start season two of Buffy? Let's check on that right now because I know you guys are probably wondering, right? I think it's September. Yes. Um, September 15th. So we still got some time. We still have over a month that we have to wait until we start season two of Buffy. This is going to be really hard doing this project because every year I'm going to have to wait like three months to watch another episode of Buffy um, for the for the podcast. I mean, I watch Buffy all the time. My mom and I are in we have two episodes left of the entire series right now in our current rewatch. Um, and it's, I forgot how much I like season seven. Like I always think of it as a season I don't like, but for the most part I do. Like there's <clears throat> only like a few episodes. I wouldn't even say any of them are necessarily throwaway episodes, but there's a few episodes that I don't like a lot and then there are um some some characters that i think kind of didn't get the best treatment towards the end there's actually several characters i think sort of got left behind closing out their character arcs at the end um which is a whole other thing that we'll end up talking about a lot once we get to season seven which is still six years in the future um, but let's just go ahead and segue right into the common beliefs in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I disagree with. Um, I'm going to pause this for a second so I can go pee so we can get into this. Okay, I'm ready. So, um, the two, like, trivial ones, we'll start with those. Um, obviously, I, I know I said it, but seriously... There's intense spoilers ahead. So if you don't like spoilers and you have not seen past the first season of Buffy, like 20-year-old spoilers, but it's happening. Get out now. Um, okay. 
So the boring ones, hating Kennedy. That is a belief in Buffy. Um, So Kennedy is, she came in in the seventh season and she was Willow's girlfriend in the last season. In general, I feel exactly the way that most people feel about Kennedy, which is that she is spoiled brat, annoying, like she is no replacement for Tara, who is the best girlfriend that has ever girlfriend on television. (laughs) Um, Willow gets the best Um, love interests like Oz and Tara as I've said many times before her boyfriend Oz from seasons uh two through four and then her girlfriend Tara for seasons five well four and five and six so there was kind of you know they yeah anyway were are the two best humans in history pretty much like how could you ever choose between them? I don't know. So in comparison to those two amazing humans, Kennedy is the worst. Obviously she's the worst. She's, you know, whatever. But I think what she was meant to be is sort of, and I don't want to like be totally like throw away with her character, but like she only got to be there during like two-thirds of season seven, the final season of Buffy. And she remains Willow's girlfriend for a pretty short time in the comics afterwards. Um, So they didn't, you know, she's kind of a rebound. She's just sort of like the first girlfriend past Willow's fucking soulmate, Tara, who died. Like, that was a relationship that never should have ended, but it did, and eventually Willow has to move on. But, like, no one's probably ever going to get to Terra status. I mean, it's not possible. So, um, she just, she's kind of a rebound. Like, she's not supposed to be that serious. So, hating her is really, you know, it's not worth it. Like, I think for the character that she was supposed to be, just like a sort of acute potential slayer, a annoying, bratty, like I always get what I want type girl, like I think she she's still compassionate and nice and like, I think she's portrayed as a real human but a real human that's just passing through in Willow's life, you know? And it's okay to have those people. You don't have to hate them just because they're not as awesome as, um, just because they're not as awesome as Tara and Oz. You don't have to hate them. So even though I totally agree with the fact that she's annoying and she is not the coolest, I don't hate her. Like, Ain't nobody, you'd have to have too strong of feelings for her to hate her. You know what I'm saying? Um, which brings me to one that I didn't actually write down, but is another common belief in Buffy that I disagree with, which is Riley. Like, Riley was um, Buffy's boyfriend in seasons four and five, 
And he, out of all the Buffy boyfriends, you know, the other Buffy boyfriends were both vampires. <laughs> um, he was the most practical choice. Like if you're a human being and see, that's, I think the whole arc of Buffy's boyfriends makes complete sense. Buffy is a vampire slayer. So she is a human, but she is a super human. So, and Buffy being a slayer in, you know, the arc of the series, the slayer was a one person gig. Like everything changed at the end of season seven to where there are now hundreds of slayers, maybe thousands, but, um, and it totally changed the slayer history, which I think is the coolest way that that show could have ended. I think it's perfect. Um, but anyway, in the, the arc of the series, the Slayer is a one person gig. So this superhuman thing is something that she is always going to feel isolated in because she can't completely, it's like, she's got a foot in both worlds, you know, that's literally what it is. Like she is super like vampires, but she's also a human. So Riley makes total sense as a person that she should have, she should be attracted to and should have a future with because he was the one that was a, just a regular human boy. And like everybody fucking hates his guts, but it's just because he's boring. That's all. He's not exciting and he's not the kind of being that Buffy's going to end up with. Like Buffy's going to spend her life being with vampires with souls. That makes sense because she needs to be with somebody that has their foot in both worlds and a vampire with a soul does. Buffy is interested in being with someone that can equal her in strength and darkness. Like that is something that that's just, that's what she's going to be. She's, I mean, she can't, she can't be with just a regular human. She can't be with a, a, a granola boy like Riley. So I also agree that Riley is the least, the least exciting choice out of those three boys, but he is the most practical. And the fact that she tried to be with a practical boy and she really gave it a good shot, you know, is something that I am glad happened on Buffy because like the fact that she's a vampire slayer that dates vampires, I mean, that can get like really that with no contrast can be, would have been unsatisfying to me if she went straight from angel to spike like be like what's the deal with this chick why can she only fall in love with vampires does she hate herself but it makes sense to have riley in the middle of that sandwich of boyfriends because he's the meat he's the person she should love but she can't and it makes sense to me um so i don't think that riley sucks <laughs> um another um something that I've seen like as an opinion written down about Buffy a lot of times people that love the show they think that the trio of Andrew Jonathan and Warren who were three nerds that were 
that were kind of the the big, the little bad of season six, which was the most emotionally punishing season of television almost of all time. It's right up there with the last season of Dexter for me, <laughs> which I can't even watch again. I watched it all the way through once and not to say I won't ever watch it again, but I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> um, but anyway, they were just these three nerds that like, they're funny and there was a lot of pop culture references with them around and they're just nerdy and a lot of fans like don't like them and I just cannot understand that at all. Like what are you here for? Like if you can't watch some total dweeb boys sit around and like talk about their theories with about Star Trek and all that shit, like why are we watching Buffy right now, okay? Like, this is a sci-fi show, essentially. Um, I don't know. I just feel like you don't know what Buffy is if you can't embrace the trio. <laughs> and the fact that the whole reason why they were, they were the, you know, the force that was kind of fucking with Buffy. They weren't actually a threat to her in any way, but because her world was so emotionally terrible that year of her life and all of her friends were sort of falling apart and it was just, it was very angsty and everything was bad. That was the only reason why they lasted longer than an episode because they would have been, you know, that little trio of boys trying to mess with Buffy. They would have lasted one episode in season one or two or three or four or five. But since Buffy was so preoccupied with her own bullshit that season, and they all were, you know, they did not take them down immediately. <laughs> so it makes complete sense that this little trio of, you know, sniveling nerd boys was somewhat of an adversary to them that season because, I mean, that was the whole point. They were there to show you how, you know, even somebody as strong and as amazing as Buffy, who's averted all these apocalypses, whenever she's dealing with a mountain of her own emotional angst, you know, she's not going to have the strength to deal with all of those things. Like if an apocalypse had actually come during season six, if they weren't all imploding from the inside out, they couldn't have fucking handled it right now. So it makes sense to me and I don't see how anybody could find them annoying. So, okay, there's that. I haven't even gotten to like the big ones. I haven't even gotten to the big ones and we're already 27 minutes in on this podcast. So the other, the one that I think is kind of a big deal, when people don't like Dawn, I think that's kind of a big deal. So if, if you're still listening and you haven't seen the entire arc of Buffy and you're okay with spoilers, obviously, Dawn is Buffy's little sister, but Buffy is an only child until season uh, five, until season five when Dawn shows up. And Dawn is um, like this mystical energy force thing that some monks 
magically made into a human that was Dawn, that was Buffy's little sister. And they implanted everyone that knew, that knows Buffy and um, in the family and all the friends, they implanted a whole history of memories surrounding Dawn. And obviously Dawn herself, she doesn't know that she's not a real human. She has memories of being, you know, she has 14 years of memories of being a person. So um, she's just sort of implanted and she's super annoying. And, um, you know, people just hate her. They completely hate her and they wish that she had never shown up. And I think that that's completely missing the point of the story arc of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hating Dawn is completely missing the point. Like, she's obviously supposed to be annoying at first because, you know, you're supposed to feel these sort of annoying thoughts towards her because she is a little sister. And at first you're, you're, you're supposed to see all this built up like years and years of this being an annoying little sister, because that's what little sisters are to you when you're a big sister. They're annoying. <laughs> and you're supposed to feel that towards her. So it works. But then as by the end of the series, and this Dawn is one of the characters that I think it was sort of left behind in the end of season seven of Buffy. I, they just tried to introduce way too many new characters in Buffy towards the end. And some of that was necessary because of the nature of the story arc of season seven. But I think they took too much time away from, I don't, I wanted to see a lot more of what was going on with Dawn, with Giles, with Xander, with Willow, like all of the core characters were sort of left behind in service to telling the story of Buffy. And like, obviously Buffy's the most important, but like, I think we could have seen a little less of what was going on with Buffy in order to see a little more of what's going on with everyone else. But um, anyway, I think by the end of the series, Dawn was just, you know, she was really becoming her own person. She was no longer this mystical key of energy, whatever. And she is still alive and she still has all these memories and she is an actual human now. And she has lots of very human problems. And I think that her storyline is interesting and the way that her character has progressed in the comics after the series ended is also very cool. Like she is just, I mean, we essentially saw her since the age of 14 and we're seeing her grow up as, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's little sister. Like you're obviously going to get left behind a lot, behind a lot whenever that is you. But I think she deserves a lot more respect than she gets. And I think that she is very interesting. And I would even, dude, if Michelle Trachtenberg was interested and they wanted to do some sort of series of, you know, even with her as like a central character, it would be very interesting because she is a person that's right there next to that Slayer spotlight. She is in the sphere and she is, I mean, it's, I think it's a very interesting storyline in general to talk about characters like Dawn and Xander because they're both humans 
that are trying, that don't have any like, you know, they don't have like magic or superpowers or any of that shit. They just are there doing the best they can fighting evil with no extra advantages in life. You know, they're pretty cool, which is why they're together in the comics, which is odd to think about at first. Like Don and Xander, no, that's wrong. That's so wrong. But by the time they get together, you know, like Don's like 20 at this point. How old would Don be right now? If she was 14 in season five, which was 15 years ago. Okay, so she's like 30 now. Dawn is like 30 now. Um, wow, that's so weird to think about. Um, yeah, so I mean, by the time her and Xander got together in the comics, um, she probably would have been early to mid-20s. So, and honestly, like, his character is only uh, five years older than her, maybe, something like that. So yeah, it would have been super creepy during the series, you know, if he was into her while she was 14 and he was 19, but, um, not really that creepy now, you know, <laughs> anyway, so I think that Dawn does not suck. <laughs> Kennedy mostly does not suck. And Riley definitely doesn't suck. Like every time I watch the series, I like Riley more actually, like poor kid. He just got a bad rap. You know, he was just a normal granola boy. Like he, in any other circumstance, he would have been a good boyfriend to a regular human girl. He would have been a great boyfriend. Like kind of boring because, you know, he's not all drama because he's just a dude that's trying to do right by people in general. He's not that stupid. He's not like, my first impressions of him were that he was like, misogynistic but he's actually not like watching it again I'm like he struggles with the fact that this tiny woman that he is in a relationship with is way stronger than him but I think that would be a pretty normal struggle for a human man to have in our culture like he's not an asshole about it he just struggles with it psychologically and I think that's fine like that makes sense Okay, now it's time for the big one, for the problematic storyline of Spike, for a, um, I would say that this is like a very intensely debated topic, um, on whether or not Spike should have been, is he ultimately irredeemable for his actions in the episode Seeing Red in season seven? Or six. So, okay. First of all, and I think I also want to tie this together with, I don't know if this is a common belief in Buffy, but my mom believes that Buffy loves Spike and that she is just, um, and the whole, there's like a little bit of a storyline in season seven of like, um, how do I explain this? Um, where, okay, there's an episode where, uh, like, a, a side character who is sort of clairvoyant 
tells Spike, and at this point Spike has a soul, and um, you know he's he's on the path of redemption and um, atonement and all that stuff. I love that word, atone. He's on the path of atoning for the sins that he committed for his you know 150 years as a vampire or whatever. And the side character who's kind of clairvoyant tells him, she will tell you. And what that ends up happening, what, what that ends up being is that in the very last moments of the last episode of the entire series, Buffy tells Spike that she loves him. And his response is, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. And my mom thinks that Buffy does love Spike and she adamantly says that Buffy loves Spike. But I'm going to tell you why she doesn't. She does now. Like in the comics at this point, they are trying to pursue an actual relationship with each other and she does love him now. But the reason that she can't at this point is, I mean, there's, it's more complicated than just this, but it's because he attempted to rape her in the episode Seeing Red of season six. This was before he had a soul because in Buffy vampire lore, the reason why vampires are evil is because once they become a vampire, they lose their soul. And, um, okay, so. I, okay, so the common belief in Buffy is that Spike should never, ever have been forgiven for attempting to rape Buffy. And this is a complicated issue because in real life, most likely you can't forgive someone for attempting to rape you. But here's the thing. Here's why we can forgive Spike and why I think that the show did a good job of handling this. And I also even though that's an extremely painful scene to watch, an extremely painful thing to go through with a character that you like. I mean, we all love Spike. Who doesn't love Spike? But I think there's a common belief that this scene should never have happened, that it was betraying him as a character. But here's why I think that that's not true at all. The reason why the attempted rape was in there is because we needed to be reminded after years of Spike having a chip in his head that made him go into intense neurological pain every time he tried to hurt a human, it made him like kind of neutered. And we needed to be reminded because he's a bad boy and you're supposed to, and you know, the bad boy thing is hot or whatever. And like he was having lots of sex with Buffy during that season and everybody was super into it. And I think Joss Whedon's reaction was like, oh shit, I think these, I think people in general don't remember that Spike is evil. Like he's terrible. Like he has killed and raped women the whole time he's been a vampire. You know, they've alluded to this, that he has, um, you know, been really terrible. But I think that everyone's perception of Spike of, was just too good. And I think that Joss Whedon, the 
creator saw this and saw it fit to remind us of how evil he is. And in order to do that, they had him attempt to rape Buffy. And she was injured at the time and she was just sort of really emotionally broken down and injured and she had recently cut off ties with Spike like they were doing it a ton that season and it was like you know it was like hate fucking because she was genuinely using him and she did not care for him she knew how evil he was and um so she cut off that relationship and she was trying to move forward and you know like get past the her attraction to him because you know he's not an okay vampire to love he doesn't have a fucking soul and us as viewers needed to be reminded of that so they put in this scene of him attempting to rape her and it was fucking awful it was awful it got across what it needed to get across and so now that this has happened the common belief in Buffy is that there's nothing you can do to come back from that and I think that might be true in a world where if it had been Xander that did this which if you remember he fucking did in season one the pack when he was possessed by a hyena he did attempt to rape Buffy anyway <laughs> and then we all forgave him that's a whole other story though and I've already told you guys that story so let's just try to move on from that without going down the rabbit hole of my thoughts on that let's just take a breath okay I'm gonna really try not to talk about that because I have a lot of thoughts okay so um so what happens what ha happened was Spike attempts to rape Buffy he immediately like and she's she's screaming and crying and trying to say no and he's not listening to her and he's just trying to force himself on her and um she finally like pushes him off and he takes a second and he like he can't believe that he you can tell immediately once he realizes what the fuck he was doing he can't believe he was doing that because he does even though he has no soul like he genuinely loves Buffy and cares about Buffy and their sexual relationship with each other was really fucked up and I can see why a person that does not have a soul like Spike who has had a sexual relationship with a person who was using him and their relationship with each other was very abusive and strange how he might have a moment where he doesn't realize that her saying no is really fucking no I can kind of understand how that happened for a vampire in a horror series where this person is not a person because this person does not have a soul and he you can tell that he's like so fucking shocked at what he was just trying to do and he runs out of there and he immediately like goes across the world or some shit and he goes through all these trials in order to get his soul back so the idea that spike is irredeemable because he did this thing i think it's a lot more complicated than that like buffy does eventually kind of choose to forgive him 
but it is so gradual that I think it's justified. Like he disappears for a while, like leaves town, whatever, and um, gets his soul back. And then he comes back and he does not go to Buffy immediately. She ends up finding him. He is, he's back in the same place that she is. And he did this whole getting a soul back thing for her because he wanted to be, he wanted to be, he wants to be worthy of her love. And he wants to be the kind of person that would never, ever do what he tried to do to her. Because even without a soul, he realizes how wrong that is. And he realizes that he can't be a person that would never do that unless he gets his soul back. So he did it for her. He sought out a soul. He had, he still somehow has love. He's like one of the only vampires that still is capable of love without a soul. Um, anyway, so he does not go to her. This is why I think he's worthy of being forgiven. He does not go to her. He never asks anything of her. He doesn't ask for time with her. He doesn't ask for her to hear him out at any point. He doesn't try to start a relationship with her again at all. He just wants to be the type of person that could be worthy of her love if she ever chose to give it. He never intrudes herself himself into her world again. Like he just kind of like makes sure that he's there if she ever needs him. He's always available in case she ever needs him, but he never asks anything of her again. And that's why I think you can start a path of her eventually getting to a place where she loves him and forgives him and trusts him. Um, which was the big thing during the scene whenever he attempted to rape her at like the, one of the last things she says to him before he leaves is ask me again, why I could never love you. And that is a really big deal. The whole when Buffy loves Spike is a really big deal. And the fact why I argue and why I argue with my mom so much when she says that Buffy loves him is that she can't yet. She can't. Um, and that path into eventually loving him is, you know, part of the, part of that process was the fact that she knew that someday she would love him. And that's why she told him she loved him at the very end of the series, because he was about to die. He was about to die saving the world. And even though she didn't feel it yet, she knew that she would eventually get to that point. And she knew how much it would mean to him for her to say that in his last moments of life. So she did. And I love the fact that he said, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. I just think that's a really important story arc. And that's why I will argue with my mom every time my mom says that she loves him because she doesn't. Somebody that attempted to rape you. I mean, a psychologically sane person does not love that person. 
But I think in his particular isolated case of being a vampire that didn't have a soul at the time and never asked anything of Buffy once he got a soul. Like, that is true atonement to me. And I think that is a person that if, if Buffy chose to never forgive him, I, can under, I could understand that. But the fact that she did, I think, was actually earned. And I, I don't think it's irredeemable. And I don't think you can judge that based on the same rules that you would judge someone in the real world. Um, because, you know, it's a fantasy world and he's a vampire and he didn't have a soul at the time that this happened. Um, conversely, even though Xander is a much better person in general, I think that he could have been forgiven and was immediately forgiven for his attempted rape of Buffy in season one, but he did not try to atone. He didn't even admit that he remembered that he did it, but he did remember that he did it. Okay, I was going to try not to talk about that because it makes me very angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Spike's story arc in general is very fascinating to me and um, I like that I really really I know I keep saying this but I really like the fact that he never asked anything of her and we my, my mom and I just watched the episode where um, which was it I think it was called Touched yes called Touched where um, Buffy has sort of she's just she was like a total asshole for part of season seven she was just a total asshole because she was faced with the sudden task of being a leader to all of these potential slayers and um she was housing all of them and trying to protect them and trying to be a leader to them and and she was really really cutting herself off from them which you know buffy always emotionally cuts herself off from everyone so it's it's a it's a character arc for Buffy that totally makes sense, but she was being a super asshole and she sort of got kicked out of the house, which I think is good. She needed a little breather. She needed a nap. And, um, right before she actually got to have that nap, um, Spike had gone to find her and, you know, he's like the one that was on her side because he's always unquestioningly on her side. He will always be unquestioningly on her side. It doesn't matter what she does. Um, he will be on her side, which is like a pretty fucked up basis for them ever being in a relationship together. But he's a little different than that now. He's not quite as blindly in, you know, worshipful of her these days, but in the comics. But anyway, he, he goes into this speech of, like, why he thinks she's such an incredible woman, and um, he sort of reaches up, and he doesn't, like, try to touch her at any point during this season, except for, I think this moment is the first moment of, like, him trying to touch her at all. And he just sort of, like, touches the side of her face, and she kind of reacts, you know, like, she's still not entirely comfortable with him after he attempted to rape her which is totally understandable. But anyway, she sort of like flinches because she still doesn't trust that he, even though he hasn't tried at all to insert himself into her life, into her emotional world at all, he has not done anything to try to push himself on her in any way. Um, him just reaching up and sort of touching her face and she flinches and he says, hey, I'm not asking anything of you right now. 
like, and I think that was really important. Like, before he goes into this big speech about how he thinks she's an amazing person and all this shit. And just, you know, a little pep talk, um, which is a really sweet speech. And it makes me cry. And it's really good. And I think it wouldn't have been as good if it wasn't for that moment of him saying, hey, I'm not asking anything of you. Like, I don't expect anything from you right now. So, like, just so you know. And then he tells her what a great person she is. And it's true and real because he really isn't asking anything of her. And that's something in our culture that, like, I think it's something that women deal with in general. Like, if a man that is interested in you is telling you nice things about you, you always, in the back of your mind, you sort of are always going to distrust it because you know that they want something from you. You know that they want you. You know that they were raised in a culture where men have to, like, you know, quote unquote, jump through hoops in order to have sex with you. So you think that that's a part of it always. And the fact that he said, I'm not asking anything of you is just the whole speech could have just washed over and not even had emotional weight if he hadn't said that in my mind and in Buffy's mind. <laughs> Emotionally, the way we cut ourselves off from people, um, I, I relate to her a lot. And it's one of the reasons why I love Buffy um, as a show. Um, sometimes I kind of hate her as a character and sometimes I kind of hate myself as a character. So it all goes back to that anyway. Um, and then he follows through with that. Like, not only does he say, I'm not asking anything of you, but he tells the, he gives her the little speech and, um, and the whole time she's saying she's tired or not the whole time during that speech, but during the conversation in general, she keeps saying she's really tired and she wants to rest and, and she's kind of giving up on the fight of, you know, the whole impending apocalypse and all that bullshit. And he's trying to rouse her out of giving up because she's not a quitter. And um, after his speech, he he says, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you and let you let you sleep. I'll I'll be nearby or whatever, you know." And um, she she asks him to stay with her, and he and they're in a bedroom. And she's on the bed and he, she asks him to stay with her and he immediately starts looking around like, okay, oh, there's a chair right there. Okay. I'll, I'll sit in this, you know, he just is going to sit close to her. He's going to, he's always going to do exactly what she asks always and forever. He will do anything she asks. And, um, and she's like, no, like with me, like she wants him to cuddle with her <laughs> and he the fact that he did not even, it didn't even cross his mind that that's what she was asking. It, you know, he has completely given all of the power back to her, which is where it needs to be after everything that's happened with them. And, um, and he's consistent with that. Like, he's like, okay, are you sure you really want me in bed with you? Are you sure? This is a big fucking step because like up until this point, you know, there's been like little moments where like maybe, maybe they'll like touch in some friendship way of like, 
I think Buffy had to support him after he'd been tortured at one point. So she was kind of holding him up and things like that. But like this moment of them cuddling together is a gigantic step. Something they never did whenever they were fucking in season six. You know, like this is the beginning of a moment where Buffy could eventually love him. And that whole scene is just so important. The whole, I'm not asking anything of you. Here's why you're an amazing person. Then he was going to leave. And then he was going to sit in the chair when she wanted him to stay. You know, like, all the power is on her. And he, and it couldn't have happened if he was trying to get anything from her. Which, thinking back on Spike's story arc in general... Like, he emotionally manipulated Buffy, when, especially when they were having sex. He was, he was doing some controlling asshole boyfriend things. He was telling her things like, you belong in the dark with me, your friends will never understand you, I'm the only one that will ever understand you. Like, he was doing some manipulative, awful, skeezy things. And I think people really did forget that because they like him so much. And it's important to be reminded of how evil he was and how different he is when he gets a soul. Um, anyway, <laughs> I apparently, I have a lot of thoughts about Spike. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about most things on Buffy, but that moment in Touched where he, oh, I know I just keep saying it, the, the, the fact that he says, I'm not asking anything of you right now. Like, so important. They hadn't had that in there. That speech still would have been good and sweet, and I still would have enjoyed the fact that they cuddled and all that shit, but it wouldn't have been as earned without that line. And, um, anyway, I, it's a really tricky thing to have an attempted rape and to have a character come back from it. The fact that on the surface, you know, I, if you don't know anything about Buffy, you just know that a character attempts to rape a woman and then, you know, a year later he's for essentially forgiven for it and he's stuck around pretty much the whole time. He's still been in almost every episode and like paying attention to his story arc is, you know, they pay more attention to his story arc than they do to Willow's and to Xander's and, you know, that could be problematic. <clears throat> But um, just seeing that on the surface, ooh, that sounds pretty scary. I don't know if I want to watch a show where somebody attempts to rape someone and then they're accepted back into the fold pretty much immediately. But I think the way that it was handled was done right. It, yeah, I just, I do. I think it was done right. And I know that's controver controversial to say, kind of, um, as a feminist just on the surface of it, but there are a lot of good reasons why Buffy does eventually love him, even though he did attempt to rape her at one point. Because he admitted what he did, and he several times admits that there's nothing, he knows that there's nothing he'll ever be able to do to make up for it. But all he can do is try to not be that person anymore and he did every single thing within his power to not be the person that would do that 
and that's all he could do. He could not have done more than that. Um, so anyway, uh, I just love Buffy. <laughs> and that's why what's this bitch talking about is usually Buffy. That's not the grammatically correct sentence, but you know what I'm saying. Um, I love you guys. If you want to find me on the internet, I have a website, mixtressray.com, which is basically just um, a blog spot, <laughs> but whatever, okay? I like it. It's It's kind of like the kind of website that only a mother could love. And I do love it. And I hope that maybe you do too. I, I kind of aspire to make someone feel like they're looking at an Angel Fire website when they look at my website. But anyway, it has my links to my YouTube channel, my podcast, my radio show. Um, it's got my blog. It's, you know, it's all the things. You can find me in all the places on that site. So... Oh, if you want to contact me in like a letter fashion, mixtressradio at gmail is the way that you can do that. M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-D-I-O at gmail. So um, have a good week. I will be back next week with something else. I don't know. We'll figure it out together. See you then. Bye.